I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be in worship with you this morning, and I would like to begin by reading the gospel lesson from the writings of Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke's version of the parable of the rich ruler and other gospels, the ruler is young, but seeing as how some of us are young and some of us are old, I chose the Luke passage so that it would include the young and the old and everyone in between. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And you, you know what the commandments are. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. The rich ruler replied, well, I've kept all these things from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, there is one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible for mortals is possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pilgrim way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. One more personal word. Morningside occupies a very precious place in my heart. Some of you I know Many of you I don't know. But at a turning point in my life, having moved from one city to another, I got a call from fellows wearing a choir robe up here. David Wingard is his name. And he chaired the search committee on which wonderful people like Kathy Bremer served. Martin Dunlap wonderful people. Forgive me if I don't say your name. But the almost six years I spent here were as happy as any years I've spent in the ministry as together we followed Christ, glorified God, and channeled the Holy Spirit in so many ways for our neighborhood and our community and our city and the world. Listen, that hymn, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. 
and I know it, is the Spirit of the Lord. You don't find that everywhere, and you don't find it in every church. It's a blessing to have shared time with you. I retired from ministry 12 years ago, officially, when I left this pulpit. Since then, you've had several ministers, senior ministers, associate pastors, student ministers, a lot of coming and going, a lot of change. Life is like that, isn't it? Nothing ever stays exactly the same. And some of the changes are good, and some are kind of daunting, and you wonder why in the world are we going to deal with this, but no kidding. There is one constant in the life of this congregation, and that constant consists of two pieces, God's guidance and God's protection. You are still here because you are useful to God. Not only as a community, but individually, you're here because you come into a place set set aside to glorify God and to remember what discipleship to Christ looks like and means. God is good. God's guidance and protection are sure things. But here's another question. Do you think that God can be trusted to guide and protect in every circumstance? I'm talking every circumstance. And even more precisely, do we live as if God can be completely trusted. Maybe that's the most important question ever. Katie tells me it's commitment season around here and that I should not avoid mentioning money. So I went really deep and found this passage from Luke I'm not going to talk about commitment season, but I am going to talk about the economy. And I'm going to talk about materialism. And I'm going to talk about whether God can be trusted. There was a great theologian named Karl Barth who is famous for saying, you should read the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. Amen, shepherd, amen. And so I thought today that the 121st Psalm, which is such a, well, it starts out, you won't believe it, with a good bit of anxiety and worry, and then gets really good. And then the conversation between the rich ruler and Jesus. Because if you pick up the paper every day, there is going to be a story, probably on the first page, about out-of-control inflation. Over 40%. Uh, 
in the last 40 years. No, that's the last 40 years. It's really high. I'm trying to get my numbers right. The inflation, the up and down of the Dow Jones average. We worry. We worry about our portfolios if we have them. We worry about whether we're going to have um, enough money for our retirement. Al and I live on a fixed income. Are we going to be all right? And we're past the days of raising children, but I just remember how expensive it was to, to raise a family and to make sure everybody had what he or she needed, no matter what was going on with the economy. The ups and downs really, really can cause us to worry. Here's my note, the highest inflation rate in 40 years. I got that right and no end in sight. I, I worry about myself in an existential way, but I worry even more about the effect of a shaky economy on millions of people who are the vulnerable among us. Shall I pay the light bill? Or shall I buy groceries tonight at the grocery store. I was driving on the highway the other day and I heard an interview with a man who was complaining on NPR of all places that he was distressed because first of all he likes steak. He really likes steak and he said the steak that I like for years has cost about $17 a pound. And the last time I bought it, it cost $32. Isn't that awful, he said. Well, I had a hard time getting a lot of grief going <laughs> about that. But there are things to worry about. And I, I remember, I think I even told you this years ago, uh, about the preaching professor who used to encourage his students to come up with a great sermon title. He would say, think of a title that would make people who are riding on a bus, driving by the church. They could see a sign on the sermon title sign would read, uh, what would it read? What would get them off the bus and compel them to come in? And one wag of a student raised his hand and said, how about this? Your bus is on fire. Our bus is not on fire, but we all see whiffs of smoke here and there. And we're not sure how it's going to turn out. Well, let the scriptures help us today. Remembering that worry is unavoidable. I don't know about you, but anxiety can just show up in my heart. I'll be fine and I think, oh my gosh, what about so-and-so? I love what someone said long ago. Uh, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere.
So the psalmist starts out with this question. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills. And is he thinking adoring thoughts about creation, sort of a E.E. E. Cummings of long time ago? No, he's scared. I lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From where will my help come? The hills that are on the pilgrim road to Jerusalem were filled with bandits. And they were, the road itself was full of pitfalls into which you could fall, full of scorpions that could sting you to death. How am I going to make it down this road to Jerusalem? And I don't think he was alone. I think he was in the company of pilgrims. And I think they were all nervous and they were all worried. And then he says, and I think this is one of those Damascus Road things. He says, I've got it. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's a pretty good insurance policy, isn't it? The everlasting God from before time began until eternity and through that as well. God has you covered, sir. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Pretty awesome protection. I hope you'll remember that the next time you start worrying about nothing very important, or even if you're dealing with something that's very, very important, remember worry isn't going to get you anywhere. Trust is going to get you somewhere. All of us are sitting here today. All of us have been through things, and we're still here, and we're still alive. Did God not get you through? Whatever it was. First he asks, is there anybody up there? Where is my help going to come from? Is anybody walking beside me? I love the doctrine of the Trinity. We have the creator of the heavens and the earth. And then we have Christ who walked the pilgrim road with us. Did, does, and will. Then we have the Holy Spirit, who is everywhere, the giver and renewer of life. Confidence in God. Unlike the psalmist, our rich friend had confidence. But whom did he have confidence in? He had confidence in himself. He had confidence in his status, in his character, in his wealth. And he's not anxious at all. He's the opposite of anxious. He's pretty sure he's got it made. And he just wants a little check off that, yes, the great teacher thinks he has it made. And so he's good to go. 
he would have been the precursor of those who preach and teach the prosperity gospel. You talk about a mortal sin, believing that prosperity is a sign of God's favor, you are just simply wrong. And it is sort of the common Christianity that people adhere to today. Jesus says, look, sir, if you want to figure out eternal life, you need to give everything that you have, all that you have away. You need to give up what you think matters and pay attention to who matters to God. Perfect example in Matthew 25 the thing that I, to my, I find is the most literal picture in all of the New Testament. Jesus says, when you have fed the hungry, when you have visited those who, incarcer who are incarcerated, when you take care of other people, it is as if you have done it to me. To me. Do you think he dislikes Jesus, the rich ruler? No. Is he fussing at him? No. <laughs> he loves him. He's sad for him. The rich ruler goes away sad. But Jesus is sad when he is in the man's presence. And when he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, listen, that is not a judgment. That is not a judgment. That is not an indictment of people who have wealth and means. It is just an observation. This is not a message for people who are poor, who deal every day with the reality of poverty and whether there will be food to feed the children or money to pay the rent. This is a message for us. This is a message for people who might have tighter budgets these days, but who have more resources than most people on this planet. This is a message for people with good hearts and unnecessary anxiety. Jesus wants to set this man free from the prison of excessive self-concern because he knows there's a better way to live, a better way to be human, and that way is uh, a way of gratitude, a way of being open, a way of putting your interests not only in yourself, but in what's going on in other people's lives, what's going on in the mission of the church. 
he wants to free us, free that man from his excessive self-concern. I, I don't know whether anybody in here went to see the play at the Alliance Theater a couple of months ago. It was entitled Stuff. It's very interesting, new kind of drama. And the, the title character, no, the main character, no, I, t I take it back. The title of the play is Everybody. One of the main characters is a character named Stuff. So everybody's about to die. And he really thinks about how it's going to go in the life to come. He tells himself, listen, I've accumulated a lot of amazing stuff in my lifetime. Maybe I can bring some of that with me and sort of make a good impression on whoever is going to be receiving me who I think will be God. And as he has this conversation with himself, a character appears whose name is Stuff, and he's in a wheelchair because he's covered with so much stuff. Mink coats, jewelry, everything in the world. Stuff says, I'm here to help you with whatever problem you have in this world. And everybody says, well, actually it's not about this world, but the next world. I'm basically summoned to go on that scary journey we all have to go on at the end of our lives where we have to give an account of ourselves to somebody who is, I'm pretty sure, God. Stuff over the years, you have been a real comfort to me. I'm begging you, go with me and help me make a good impression. God might appreciate a, some part of you as an offering of something. Stuff says, you know you can't take me with you. He says, everybody says, I, I could carry you. And Stuff says, do you think I belong to you? Well, yes, everybody says, not anymore and never again. A few months ago, Queen Elizabeth II died, as you know. And when she was buried in the crypt at Windsor Castle, her coffin lowered into the crypt and sealed forever. The queen faced eternity wearing a dress and shoes. She had no crown. She had no scepter. She had no orb. She wore a pair of pearl earrings and the wedding band that Prince Philip had given to her on the day they married. For we brought nothing into this world with us, did we? 
and we will take nothing out of it.